0: Verse 6. Now, I've touched in and out of this many times. Last week I touched on a little bit. I want you to look at it with fresh eyes. It's just a verse I felt like we needed to go back and look at it again. I'm not going to pick up John. I didn't think John would uh, should be for today. So we're, I want to look at the birth of Christ a little bit more. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and see what we have here. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for this congregation, Father. I want to pray for them in the year to come, Lord, that we would grow in our knowledge of you. We grow as a church together. Father, We in the times and the hard times that we're in, we grow together more emotionally, more lovingly than we've even seen, more caring, Father, towards one another. Help us be a church, Father, that is concerned about the lost, the hurting. Lord, we have been already. I ask, Lord, that you'd help us with that even more as it gets this world gets worse and worse and worse. I thank you, Father, that you've uh, brought us together as a body here. I just ask that you'd bless their day today and the tomorrow, Lord, as we celebrate your birth and really in celebrating your birth, we recognize the reason you came in the first place is that you might redeem us, Father. I pray that... Everybody within that can hear my voice, Father, whether it's here or online this morning, that they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That they know you as their Savior, as their as their Lord, Father, that Lord, there will just be a great rejoicing in their homes. These homes are filled, Father, with the presence of your spirit. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So let's go to Isaiah nine and verses six and seven there for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace now we can read seven with that of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, or you could say with justice and righteousness. From the time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, and he has performed it. He will perform it. It's going to happen exactly the way he said. So we see here a child is born. Okay, You can read the genealogies of, of Jesus Christ uh, in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 you can go to the book of Luke and look it up in Luke 3 verses 23 to 38 both of them leading back to the throne back to the land back to clear to Adam on the genealogies but the thought and care when you think about that that took God to bring to us the son of God is incredible if you look down through the corridors of time if you would if you go into that, if you're, when you're headed out today, just peek in that first classroom by the front door and look at the chart in there of how God in his sovereign power can start with a man and a woman and take that whole line of Jesus Christ. Can you Imagine what it took to work all these families together in time just to bring about Jesus at the perfect day. What kind of powerful, mighty God do we have? But that, that's incredible. Everything to the smallest detail had to be in place for Christ to come that day in the manger. What had, at, the, at the right time he came, the scripture would tell us. And Isaiah leaves us no doubt as to the identity of who this child is in these verses. And if you haven't missed it, he is God in the flesh. Okay, that's, He's not just an ordinary baby. What child is this? That's the question, you know. Let, let me point out some truths that are in this passage that you can read and see yourself. His whole embodiment, and we'll get to that in just a second, but his whole embodiment of he is God's grace that's come to this world. You notice the phrase that's repeated in the text here. Go back here. It says, unto who? Us. Unto us. The same idea is repeated in New Testament reference of his birth in Matthew 121. Go back here to Matthew 1, 1.21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Unto us is been given. He will say, in Luke two eleven. Look we'll here to Luke chapter two, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, Savior who is Christ the Lord. Your Bible might say there unto us is born. But God gave His Son for us. That's the whole premise of John three sixteen. How many know that verse? You should know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? What's the reward of believing in Jesus? Everlasting life. That the, the gift that will give for eternity, everlasting life. Now, if, you, if you're one who believes that you can lose what God's given you, there's no hope in that. What a sad testimony to think if you're given a gift, somebody would take it away from you the very day they gave it to you. What a sad way to live in that kind of bondage when you've been given a free gift and think that he would take it back. That's not the God of Scripture. He gives a gift, and that gift is yours. Once you receive that gift by believing the gospel message, Ephesians 1.13, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And what, what's the promise? Eternal life, folks. And so John 3, 16 tells us tells us that. That's grace. And so Isaiah calls this baby a child and a son. Let's read it again. What's he say? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is what? Is given. And so... When you look at that, you see the word child speaks to something. It speaks to his humanity. And so when you see the word son, it speaks to his deity. So what do you have here? Jesus Christ is literally the God-man. That's who he is. He's God in the flesh. And as the God-man, Jesus was unique in several important ways. He was unique in his birth. If you go back to Isaiah seven fourteen. How is he unique in his birth? Well, it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, he's unique in the birth is that he's born of a virgin girl. And secondly, his name will be Emmanuel, which translates God with us. So what's unique about his birth is for the first time in all eternity, the God of creation Becomes a human being born into this world in order to die for you. Well, he's unique in his life. John 1 1. What does John 1 1 tell us? We go there, go to John 1, verse 1, and then verse 14. Of course, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. To understand really what he's talking about there, go down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In that verse is everything I just said. Wow. And so if we looked at 1 Peter, Peter's account of this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, we would read, let me read down it. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his step. If we're looking at his life, so he's, he's literally the God-man, and the God-man Jesus was unique in his birth, but he's unique in his life. And it says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Wow, his life. Why did he live a life with no sin? Well, He's God. But what was the intended purpose of doing so? So that you and I could live. So he came into this world to be born with the purpose of having no deceit found in him at all. No sin could be labeled or he could be made guilty of. So he was not just unique in his birth and his life and his death. or, Or excuse me, he's also in his death. If you go to John chapter 10. Think about somebody being unique in their death. In John 10, verse 18, no one takes it from me. talking about his life. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. He's unique in his birth, his life, and his death. What's unique about his death? He is Lord over that. He lays it down by himself. He picks himself up by himself. He can causes death he can raise himself from the grave. What an amazing God we have, right? So he's also unique in his resurrection. If you go to Matthew chapter 28 and verses 1 through 8. Now after the sabbath at the first day of the week began to dawn as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold there was a great earthquake "'For an angel of the Lord ascended from heaven "'and came and rolled back the stone from the door "'and sat on it. "'His countenance was like lightning "'and his clothing as white as snow. "'And the guards shook for fear of him "'and he became like dead men. "'But the angel answered and said to the woman, "'Do not be afraid, "'for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. "'He's not here, for he is risen. "'And he said, "'Come, see the place where the Lord lay.'" And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. He was also unique in his resurrection. Nobody ever has been brought out of the grave to enter heaven except for him. Now, Him first, praise God. He raised himself from the grave. So there's never been anyone like him. That's my point. And there never will be again. For he is a son that is given. Not just born, but given. Now let's look at that. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Let those words just sink in for a minute. I've talked about them. I probably bring this up every Christmas season. But especially I've even touched on it a little bit last week. So let it sink in your heart this morning that Jesus Christ, the Lord of all glory, was born. And he was born because of the reason he was given to you. There would have been no birth if God hadn't first decided to give you his son. Now think about that because when you're thinking along those lines, think about Isaiah 53. Okay, Isaiah 53, this bothers some people, but it won't, shouldn't bother you. And that's verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Now it pleased the Father to bruise him. It pleased the Father to to crush him. It pleased the Father to crucify his own son so that you could have life. Now if you understand what's going through the Father's mind is he's given the son to you. He's given to him to you to die for you, with the full knowledge that He's pleased with this. <laughs> Try to figure out the heart of God. The Father gave His only begotten Son to us. Christ shall appear as a child, born of a woman, as it says in Matthew one twenty to verse twenty three. We don't need to go back and read that again but he's given for a purpose because he was to save his people from their sins we saw that in Matthew 121 but there's something else about him so he's not just born he's given but what's said about him in Isaiah chapter 9 the government shall be upon his shoulder okay what does that mean is he going to be a democrat is he going to be republican what does that mean no that means all of authority rests on this baby he has all authority that's going to be given to him we see that in Matthew 28 the incident of government the scepter if you would the the sword the key which was worn upon or hung from the shoulder and represented the sustaining authority or power of the one wearing it if we go back here to Isaiah 22 Isaiah 22 22 Isaiah 22, verses 22 and 23. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. How much authority does Jesus have? All authority. What he opens up, nobody can shut. What he shuts, no one shall open. Now think about the authority that you have there. He has the death to to what? He has the keys of death in Hades. He has all authority over everything. There's nothing that Jesus doesn't have authority over, and that includes us. We were brought into this world for his glory, for his purpose. Not for our glory, not for our purpose. Everything in our life should be done to show that he is the one to be worshipped, not us. So he had the key of the house of David. I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. When it says I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place, go read Psalm 2 and then figure out that what he has raised up as his king, what God has made as his priest, what God has brought into this world as the capital P prophet, He's prophet, priest, and king. He set a peg, and that, that one who has that has all authority, and he'll never be moved out of that place. He's king forever. He's Lord forever. Now, we don't make him Lord. We don't make him king. You will submit to him as those, though, because he, he is that. It's pretty wise if you choose to do it with your life right now, to bend your knee to him as he's king of kings and lord of lords, because if you refuse to do it when it's your ability to do it, then you will be forced to do it before him. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called what? This is I love this passage when it talks about the names of God here. His name will be called, what's the first one? Wonderful. Now before I go any farther, what's wonderful about his name? Somebody tell me why his name is wonderful. It's eternal. It's a name above all names. What else? His character, okay? Brings you joy. Washes away all sins. Anybody else? Brings forth salvation. Speaks of salvation. His name shall be called wonderful. Wonderful in, his, in word and in works. It's wonderful in his ways. You could say it those ways. He is wonderful. The word means, by the way, supernatural. He's our supernatural God. (laughs) What does that mean? I I can believe and expect things from him that are not ordinary to men. I can see miracles done by him. I can be the recipient of a miracle done by him. I can see his hand move in someone else's life. I can see it move in my life. He's a supernatural God with I can go to with requests of supernatural things. Things that men uh, today would think you are crazy for asking God for. Does he heal? Yeah, he does. Does he provide? Yeah, he does. How do you know that? Because he's done those things for you. Listen, I've been in that part of life which a lot of young people haven't experienced yet. You're going to go out on your own. Who's waiting for that? And you're going to go out on your own and go, hey, this is not going to pencil out in my checkbook. Huh? Been there in your life where God has the pencil and God's the one that makes it work? You ever been that way? Huh? How am I going to pay this next bill? How is God? I don't have any food for my family. How is God? I need your help. There's the food. There's the help. Guess what He does? He takes care of us, doesn't He? He's very faithful, He's wonderful. He, the word means supernatural. It means secret. It means extraordinary. There is no greater name given amongst men. There's, there. He is. You know, his name is above every name. And I wish in life I would have figured out his name was in my earlier years. His name was more important than Dan. It would have saved me a lot of grief, right? But our Lord is wonderful in His conception. He's wonderful in his birth. He's wonderful in his preaching, in his miracles, in his suffering. He's wonderful in his death, and he's wonderful in his resurrection. He's wonderful in his name. Go back to Judges chapter 13. Judges 13. Now, what happens in Judges 13? He's being asked about his name. In verse 18, let's actually start in... Uh, 17, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Well, we see an angel of the Lord, that's the Lord here, it's capital L-O-R-D, it says, and the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is what? It's wonderful. My name, you want to know what my name is? It's wonderful. Now, don't say that when somebody asks you your name. Okay? Because that title belongs to him. do say, hey, what's your name? Hey, it's wonderful. But God can say that. His, his, he is wonderful in his works. When you take a, just read his word and absorb it and go to places here like Psalm 40. Go to Psalm 40. Just start thinking about how wonderful he is. Uh, when Psalm 40 verse 5 many O lord my god are your wonderful works which you have done just think about what he's done not what he's doing or what he even is going to do just think about what he's done and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order if i would declare and speak of them they are more than can be numbered (laughs) do you think about that your thoughts towards us, your thoughts towards me can't be recounted to you in order, if I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. How wonderful is God? He thinks more about you than you ever think about him. His name, he, he's thinking about you more than the time you put in to think about him. And that can not be numbered. He's a wonderful God. Psalm 78, and verse 4, again, we will not hide them from their, We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. Can you, what, are you, what are you ready to tell the next generation how wonderful God is? Are you ready to tell your children's children's children that this is what God did in my life? This is what he did in those times I was in doubt or I was hurting. Let me tell you what my God did. Can you imagine the effect that would have on the generation to come? I think part of the problem that the, the we're facing right now in our nation and the world is the Christians that should have been speaking haven't been speaking. And so we need to start telling this next generation what my God has done. Now, you wouldn't think of him, if you don't give him the time of day, you can't tell the next generation how wonderful he is. So it's gonna involve time with you in worship of him and, and getting in prayer with him and studying his word and those type of things. But he is, as it was saying, let me give you one more. Uh, Psalm 107, verse eight. Psalm 107. Verse 8. And we see here it says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that we would just thank him for the how wonderful he is. So this name points out the truth that there is nothing common about Jesus. Uh, he is so far beyond our level of comprehension that we can never figure him out. We we won't completely understand the things. Because he doesn't tell us everything, there are things we don't understand about him. Yet he can be known by a little child. He's so deep we can't get to the end of him, but a child can understand him. Is that a wonderful God? He's also counselor. That word means he's he's there to advise, he's to counsel. He gives purpose. He devises a plan. It refers to his role as a a leader and the guiding force of the church or, or the guiding force of our life. And we have Psalm 37 in verse 23 would say this. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Who makes the paths that we walk on? The Lord. He's not surprised. He knows what direction our life should go. He says here in in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Let me go to Romans 8, 28 here. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Christ is the counselor who teaches us. He comforts us. He intercedes for us. He is wonderfully qualified in that job. He's the one who has age and experience. He knows more about life than I do or than you do. He's the one that has all knowledge. And this is what's amazing about God. He can counsel out of his knowledge because he is knowledge. He's the definition of knowledge. There is nothing he doesn't know. Now, you and I learn, but he doesn't learn. You understand what I'm saying? We learn from him, but nobody teaches him because... Just like you would define him as love, he is the expert on love because he made it. He is joy because he made it. He is life because he's created it. All those things we learn about, he doesn't have to be taught. So he is understanding, he is counselor, he has age and experience and knowledge. And guess what? He's also omnipresent. So he's always available. This is a counselor that if you need counsel, you you, you don't call up the number and say, hey, I won't, I'm sorry I'll be out of the office and I won't be there till Friday. You don't get God saying that to you. He's ready to speak to you and hear from you at any time and give you the counsel that's right. Remember this, don't go to the world for counsel. Go to the one who is the counselor. You go to the road for counsel you're getting the devil's counseling remember that because he's a liar listen uh, hey I'm if I'm stepping on toes I'm stepping on toes even these so-called Christian counselors if they're not in the word of God counseling you they're they're just speaking for the devil folks and they're taking your money I'm sorry but that's the way it is he is counselor there is no truth except the word of of truth the truth that comes from him so he counsels with truth every other every other person that does not counsel with the word of god is counseling out of lies he said oh, i hate you for saying that that's the fact he is mighty not just counselor he's oh by the way he always gives perfect advice i mean just just take a look at this go to hosea book of hosea let me get hosea here cuz the pages are So Hosea 14, verse 9. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. So if you want counsel, go to the place that the counsel will be what? Right. So he also is not just his name is wonderful and he's counselor, and that he pleads for the he's also a counselor in that he pleads for the guilty sinner as one who is innocent and appears in the presence of God for us as a mediator. so he does that but he's now he's mighty God. What is, what's mighty about God? Let me ask that question. What's mighty about him? He's long-suffering. you'd look at that as being mighty. okay, what else? He's full of grace and mercy that's mighty. He has the power to forgive sins. So think of mighty as something with strength. What kind of strength does he have? What power does he have? To forgive sins. What else? Resurrect. To re- Who said that? To resurrect, the resurrection. He has the power to b- bring himself out of the grave. What else does he How it, Okay, there you go. Okay. Holds all things together by the power of his word. So he is the mighty God. That word mighty means hero. He's my hero. Okay, so in the Hebrew, it's hero. Now, what hero do you have? Oh, I follow these Marvel cards. You you guys are all saying, yeah. Who likes Batman? Huh? Superman. Come on, these are kids. You guys are so phony. Listen, when you were a kid, who liked Spider-Man? My goodness. We need to revisit our childhood. Superman. Yeah, yeah. Underdog, there you go. All right. What was his girlfriend's name? Okay, so you have these superheroes, right? You got now they're coming up with ones I've never heard of before. But we had superheroes, and some people would even look at their their uh, astronaut when you're a kid, or somebody flying jets, or you know, down to sports heroes. Who has a sports hero? Huh? Who's your sports hero? Huh? Uh, I like Green Bay Packers. Oh, that's, that's, all, that's only God's only football team, folks. There's a G on their helmet. Okay, now listen. Now listen. I had a superhero in that. I liked sports growing up. I had baseball players I was following. But has anybody ever thought that God's your hero? Because that's what the word means okay he's mighty god he's it's hero it refers to one who is strong who's mighty who's invincible he alone is worthy to be our hero because he's defeated death he's defeated sin he came to save us from god's wrath He, he he came to save people from the grave he came to deliver men from hell there's that's a great hero but he's not a phony hero He's actually a real hero. When you think about just what he's done, he's a, he is effective in his power. Go to John 17. I mean, he's effective in his power. John 17, uh, verses 1 through 2. And, of course, that tells us, it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, at Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Is he a hero there? Yeah, he is. He is worthy of all praise. If you go to Hebrews chapter 7, the scripture just loaded with this stuff hebrews 7 verse 25 therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to god through him since he always lives and makes intercession what for them now that's amazing because he's able to completely save us forever that's what that means (laughs) what a hero if I want a superhero, I want somebody who can save me out of my sin, and not just save me for a week, but save me forever. And then I love how it says that, you know, he we're saved to the uttermost. Those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Now He's not just uh, wonderful or counselor or mighty God; He's the everlasting Father. You know, everlasting father. He's the everlasting. He is the great I am. He's our father. The word means he's the one who produces it. He's the one that generates it. He's the everlasting father. He, Our, our eternal life is produced only by him, and it's kept together by him. He is our source. He brought us into being, and he sustains our lives by his power. He fulfills the role of, uh, as our father, now think about this, he, as our father, by he supports us, okay? I won't go through the scriptures on this, but he supports us, he sustains us, he comforts us, he provides for us. Everything a father would do, 100 times more, but he's our everlasting father. Now, simple by looking at that term, when does he ever stop being your father? Never. Why? Whose choice is that? I'm a Christian. I have choice. I do have choice. But his choice is here. He's decided to be your everlasting father. He's committed himself to his own promise. He's bound himself to his own promise. What's his promise? I will be your everlasting father. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. All that's true. Now, he's a prince of peace. Okay? Prince of peace. He will rule his kingdom in peace. Now, how can he do this? Well, Jesus is the author, and he's the dispenser of peace. Look at John 14. Go to the Gospel of John here, John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave you, or leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither... Let it be afraid. Why don't I need to be afraid? Because I have peace with Him. I'm no longer His enemy. If you have not experienced the peace of God, which comes really by the Holy Spirit indwelling you, then you need to experience it. You need to know that I'm, you need to know that you're at peace with God. If you're not a born again believer, you're not at peace with God. You are still His enemy. And he will crush his enemies in the end. You want to make sure that you have a strong relationship with Christ. That you're at peace with him. He is the prince of peace. There is no other way to get peace except through the prince. You cannot have peace with the king unless you go through the prince. He's the prince of peace. He is what it says in Romans chapter 5. We go there, Romans 5, 1. And the word says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Lord Jesus Christ. All those titles are his also. Because if you look at those, he's even much more than what Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says. He you you and I would look at the manger scenes with with Mary and Joseph, the baby in swaddling clothes, the, the shepherds, the animals, the angels. All of it is meaningful. It's beautiful to us. Even the secular world knows about these things. People who aren't regulars at worship services usually attend even Christmas services along with uh, Easter services. We sing songs like Silent Night, Joy to the World. But the birth of Jesus is much more than just a manger scene. It's the incarnation of God. It's God becoming flesh. His birth will lead to the only solution for mankind. His birth will lead to the cross. So I say he's much more than what we're reading in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This baby has in himself really three titles. He is Savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord. He was no ordinary baby. As Savior, he was worthy of our worship. As Christ, he is worthy of our dependence. And as Lord, he is worthy of our obedience. As Jesus, he is worthy of all we can give him. So the question I want to end with this morning is, what are you giving Jesus for Christmas? It's his birthday. It's his celebration. It's all about him, supposedly. So when you think about this when you're with your family the next few days, what is it that, sh- that you would give to him in honor of him? And if let me tell you this, if it's anything short of 100% of yourself, don't wrap it. Let's pray. Father God, you are worthy of all praise. And I just want to be thankful this morning in recognizing of what that passage has told us, Father, that you, your name is wonderful. You're mighty in your counsel. You're a mighty God. You are the everlasting Father. You're the Prince of Peace. And I want to thank you, Father, that all authority has been given to the Son. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done to redeem us. In Jesus' name, amen.